Okay, we are recording to the cloud. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, welcome everybody to this episode of Emerge on Purpose podcast. I am super excited about this one because we have a guest, Roderick Jefferson. Uh, Roderick, when we first connected, it was just like the easiest uh, simpatico conversation. We were just flowing. It was the fastest 25 minutes that we had. Uh, and looking forward to dissecting a lot of different sales and leadership concepts with you, hearing about everything from uh, growth and productivity hacks, your uh, background, and just the lessons that you've learned along the way and, and how we can offer that to our audience. Pete, perhaps you could jump in really quickly and do a little intro for Roderick and, and kick us off here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was lucky enough, enough to get introduced to Roderick by a mutual friend. And, and I think we had a lot in common. I think we share the same passion, which is helping sales salespeople be successful. And I know he believes a lot in the concept hey, of the enablement. Hey, Pete, you are, yeah. I'm, you're echoing you're again. Multi-echoing. on two. Roderick and I share a similar passion. I think we both enjoy helping salespeople become successful. Uh, weirdly enough, I I think maybe there might be something there we can get into when it comes to coaching people, hmm, coaching athletes. And then some of those similarities between coaching athletes and coaching sales folks and, and what that is. So Roger, if you don't mind, could you introduce yourself for us? Sure. Roderick Jefferson. I'm the CEO of Roderick Jefferson and Associates. We're a um, consulting company helping small to mid-sized companies to do that very thing. How do we accelerate speed to revenue? How do we help increase productivity? And ultimately, how do we make you and your teams more productive? And I'm glad that you said that about the coaching piece, because it's literally why I started coaching athletics was because of what I had received and also was doing professionally. And there's a, a you know direct correlation and a symbiotic relationship. It's how do I deal with you know other teammates? How do I handle winning and losing? How do I constantly um, improve by practicing? And I think that ultimate that old adage of you don't win championships on the field or on the ice or on the court, you win it in practice. And I think the same thing happens with sales. It's all about preparation. Would Alan Iverson be a good salesperson or no? Um, I think AI could probably sell salt to the sea. <laughs> and he didn't like practice, me. though. No question. He, did, he didn't like practice. He, didn't, he like, didn't like practice, but what he did do was he knew how to put his teammates in a position to make them the best in order to be successful. I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay. Let me, let me just go with a hard question first. What what is your when it comes to assisting salespeople and helping them become successful? What's your biggest frustration with the process? I think that the hardest frustration for me is, and and it's kind of a, a tool role. One is what the newbies, and that is you literally aren't teaching them as much as you're guiding and advising them, and building relationships and building the credibility. What the older and I'll call them the old salty dogs, right? It what can you teach me? I've done this forever. I've always won. And I always start with um, a simple question back to them. If that's the case, why are you still working? Instantly, it's kind of disarming and you go, oh, 
I guess the world has changed. It's like, so have you been under a rock for the last couple of years through this whole little COVID thing? And, you know, because we're at a point of, of what I call next normal. It's not a new normal because new to me infers that it goes back to something we can lean on that we've seen before. We are in complete barren space right now where we're kind of making it up along the way. And I think, the, honestly, as a sales enablement professional, I think the best thing to happen to enablement and sales as a whole, if there's one great thing that came out of COVID, it's we forced and we're forced to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because the way that we used to do things doesn't even exist anymore. More or less, will it work? Yeah, I'm guessing you partially anyway, you're referring to virtual selling. And, Absolutely. And, and uh, it's it's virtual. Game basically overnight. It changed everything, right? And, and with that piece, I think there were kind of, you know, four things that happened, right? One is a new way of, of building rapport before we could talk about, oh, this is what's in your office, or we've got commonality, or we play golf, or we could do happy hours. Can't do that anymore. So you have to figure out a way new to, a new way to build rapport. The other piece is building literally a virtual community. You don't have the water cooler talk anymore. You can't just pop by someone's office or buy their cube and say, hey, I've got a da-da-da-da-da. Now what it forced us to do was say, what's working, best practices, what's not working from you? But tell me the why behind that piece, right? The next piece was we have all been on Teams or Zoom or whatever it may be. And I think we're all fighting virtual fatigue. So how do you come off as fresh and excited and engaged and keep these people, you know, engaged and also edutained, if you will, virtually? And then the final piece was the level of customer service, regardless of the the delivery vehicle, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's virtual, whether it's over the phone, the level of customer service could not drop. There's still an expectation that you're going to be at a high peak and level to be able to help me either increase productivity and efficiency, mitigate pain, and be able to do it virtually. That's That was a tough one. And it's yeah. still tough for some. Let me ask you this. So like, remember, I can go back in the Wayback Machine. Let's go back three, five years, something like mm-hmm. that. And you had the reps that were saying, Man, I'm sick of getting on the planes. I'm 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 sick of traveling all the time and having to put on the suit and go see these people. Those are the same people that were complaining about Zoom. Oh yeah, I just think yeah. it's the the latest excuse. Yeah, it, it's just something to complain about, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny the ones that are can look internal and have some self accountability and can change. You know, Sandler talks a lot about the difference between campers and climbers. Mm-hmm. And it's what, what I would say. I like what you say. Well, why are you still working? What I would say. <laughs> sometimes I'll say this out loud and sometimes I'll just think it. I'll, I'm wondering, do you have one year of experience, 10 years in a row, or do you actually have 10 years of experience? Like, which is it? You know, and it's uh, obviously they don't make they become hostages in the enablement world because they'd rather just do what they did yesterday. And that's not a good client for either you or I, I don't think. No, no not at all. Because yeah. to, to the point earlier, the way we used to do it, it doesn't even exist anymore. More or less, no. will it be successful? No, the, I mean, this little 
I don't know what, what you would call it, this transition period that we just went through. I'm interested to, to, I actually wonder how much more dramatic the AI transition period is going to be versus the virtual transition period we just went through. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's actually going to be harder. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it'll probably create more productivity. And what I mean by that is um, it's going to separate the a, a huge gap between those that are here to sell and those that are here to help. The sellers, I don't think it's going to be as productive because they're still going to go back to try and sell the way that they sold before. We're now with AI. I don't need the help as much as, or excuse me, the sell as much as I need the help, kind of the guidance. Help me understand the why behind things as opposed to what you're selling. How's it going to help me to mitigate risk? How's it going to help me to maintain my existing customers? How's it going to help me to be more productive and more efficient? And by the way, how do I do more, the old proverbial, do with less? I don't think it's about doing more with less. It's literally about doing things differently. Because now with AI, I'll be able to create scalable, repeatable, whether it be processes, whether it be approaches, whether it be messaging positioning, um, whether it be outbound messaging. But I think what it's still going to require is a level of context because AI is going to give you more content, no question. But where's the, the life experience? Where's the stories coming from? Right, where are the testimonials come? Where come? Where are the wins and the losses both? So I think what AI will do is speed things up. But for those that are afraid, and you're in sales that AI is going to take your job away, if you are truly somebody that embraces this and understands how to use it, no different than Word, PowerPoint, or Excel, it's always going to need you because you bring that context. It's a great, I mean, that's a great point. Content versus, I mean, I, the old, the old school sales reps, it was all about what they knew, not yeah. what they found out. And in order to get to a place where you're helping somebody, you obviously need to understand what they need. And that would provide you with that context. And I think that's a great, I'm curious. You, you mentioned sellers versus helpers. Can you give us some characteristics of reps that you think are good helpers? Yeah. The, these are people that can, that first of all, are prepared on the front end and go and do the level of prep. And I think that's where AI can really help people, right? Around deeply understanding their ICP or ideal client profile, understanding what's going on from a trend perspective in their given vertical, understanding what your company can, can bring that will only be able to get by working with your company. But I think the most important piece has nothing to do with technology at all. It's a question that is seldom answered. And I think that literally will either make or break the close of a sale. And the question is, so Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, what can I do to help you personally through this relationship and moving forward together? Is this going to help them get a larger seat at the table, a bigger voice, get them out of the doghouse, or show the true value for them? And if you don't ask that question and you're only asking about what's happening with the company goals and deliverables and, you know, what, what's happening this year, then you're only talking about half the equation. Look, we all talk about, oh, I want to find or create a champion. What's the best way to do it? 
find out what's important to them and going to make them bigger, faster, and stronger. That's yeah. a helper. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. And Sandler, we, we love the pain concept at Sandler. <laughs> yeah. So much so there's actually three levels of it. And that third level is the personal impact. Absolutely. Right. It's, because it, even in an enterprise sale, it's people selling to people or people helping people, depending on your perspective on it. And it's pretty hard to help somebody if you don't know why they care to begin with. And if you do a good job of understanding both sides of that equation, the business impact and the personal impact, it, it, it automatically means you have trust. Yeah. And it, it automatically means you care too, because you didn't just blow through and start presenting to somebody, right? So. Well, I think there's another piece of this, Pete, and it's kind of a three-part piece of, I think, what's going to continue making the helpers more successful than than the sellers. And that is knowing that people in general, companies, only buy for three reasons, right? It's either to increase productivity and efficiency. Second is to decrease pain. And the third is because you were able to articulate business value to them of how you can help with those first two. Look, we're very key differentiation, competitive advantage, business value. We're very good as sellers on that first two. It's the third one of business value of how you're going to help them increase productivity and efficiency or decrease pain, or at least mitigate that pain. There's the differentiation between a seller and a helper right there. Yeah, you know, at the risk of Lindsay needing to bleep something out here, I I had a VP of sales once a bunch of years ago, and he was legendary in our company and hadn't met him yet. We were in a new hire training. This is going back like, I don't know, 20 years or so ago, but everybody knew who he was. And, and he comes in and he goes, and this was basically, he walked in the room and he said, your prospects are only happy because they don't know they should be pissed. And then he walked out of the room. <laughs> that was it. That was it. That's Alien dropped the bomb and left. Like, Wait a second here. Let me think about this for a minute. And I, I think what he was saying in his, you know, South Boston Irish accent was, you, you got to figure out what value means to that person, even if they don't know it for themselves yet. Right. And, and if you can't discern what their current state is, then you're never going to get to that gap, which is going to create the value when. It's that's a it's a great way to look at it. You're either you're either going to save them money, they're going to increase productivity, or they're they're going to find incremental value somehow. I think that's that's right on the money. It's awesome. Thank you. It's awesome. Um, hey, here's here's one that I find interesting. You ever a lot of sales leaders we work with, they'll say, "Yeah, we just want to find an athlete. We want to we want to get an athlete on the team, and and that's part of their who they're looking for in the talent pool. And I don't necessarily disagree, but why do they say that? Like, what is it? What are those intangibles that come from being an athlete that translate well to sales? I think it's first and foremost competitive and that most athletes, we hate losing more than we love winning. Right. The other piece is the whole team concept of not being oddly enough, a lone wolf, But if you've got that athlete, you're usually grabbing someone that was top of their game, that was willing to put in the work. Again, back to championships come from practice, not from games. 
think the other piece is dealing with adversity, right? Uh, and another piece is as an athlete, especially college, you've got to figure out how to balance things, right? You've got class, you've got study hall, you've got practice, you've got games, you've got travel. Today, you've got all of your, your um, promotions for NILs, all those things. And if you can figure out how to balance that, because that's really what, you know, helping comes down to, and, and, and that is sales of helping to balance out and bringing the right play at the right time to bring it back together. So really what they're saying when these leaders say they want, they want somebody that's competitive, they want somebody that can overcome adversity, they want somebody that can balance things, that can work hard on and off the field. All of those intangibles could create somebody that has the work ethic needed to succeed at anything, right? Uh, I, I would agree. Now, let me flip the script on that. I also think that sometimes they are the worst people to hire. <laughs> and, and the reason is there's an expectation that I said earlier that I keep doing things the way I've done and I'm going to be successful because I've never really failed, right? I've had small bumps in the road, but we all know that that sales is how do you handle adversity when things aren't going well, right? When you don't have anything to put up on the board, when your funnel starts to get thin and light, what am I doing now? And how do I continually do qualification throughout the entire life cycle of a conversation? How do I learn? Because as an athlete, we learn how to give a presentation. We know how to talk to the media, say the right things. Don't be a PR nightmare. Selling is not about giving a presentation. It's literally about having a conversation. That means I have to understand the person, what's important to them, what do I bring? How do I show the how, the what, and the why of what we bring? How do I stay away from when I've always been a product as an athlete? How do I stay away from talking about my products? Not the products, not the platforms, none of that. How do I literally talk about what's important to them and show that we have something that can help them that no one else can help you with on that level? And that's why I keep going back to that word helpers right? Sure, it's sales. I get that part. But it's literally about the approach to it. Because in, in sports, literally, we, we always say, okay, I love being part of a team, which is great. But at the end of the day, if each one of those individuals on the team don't do what they need to do, the team fails. Now, if you're an athlete, a high profile athlete, you're always the one that carries this on your back. So you revel in being the go-to. You revel in I hit the three-pointer at the bucket and we at the buzzer and we won by one. When you get to sales, you can't do that by yourself. That old adage of no one wins alone, or but everybody wins together is what it should shift to. And I yeah. think that's where we're going now, future forward. Yeah, I think in my experience with that, if they're in it for the for the lights, like the Friday night lights. Yeah. That's not necessarily going to translate well because there's, there's a lot of downtime in selling where the lights aren't on mm. and it's what you're doing when the lights aren't on that makes you successful. And I, I think if you can figure out like what their motivation is and in what personal satisfaction they got out of the roles that they were playing on their team, you can try to discern whether or not they're, they've the, the same value system is going to translate to selling. Like I always love, 
the athletes that wanted to transition into a coach <laughs> and not like Ted Williams did, by the way, not the one that thinks that everybody should do it exactly the way he did it. And then nobody can. So he gets frustrated and every season he managed was worse than the season prior. Not that kind of person that yeah. wanted to translate into a manager talking about like a, I don't know. Um, well, he's in the news right now. So he, he came to mind, but the Phil Jackson thing where he wasn't the greatest player on the team, mm-hmm. but he, he, he could learn and keep his mouth shut and, and, yeah. and he get the best out of people, you know? I've realized over the years uh, as an enablement professional that most of the time, moving your rock star is the worst thing you can do to turn them into a, a manager. And the reason is for that word, they become managers. They've only managed their patch. They've only managed their own funnel. They've never hired, fired. They never had the difficult conversations. And two things happened. One, you just left a patch vulnerable now where your rock star was. And the other piece is I put them in a position where I'm setting them up to fail. Hey, back to the, the sports analogy for a moment. Some of the best players in the history of the NBA were the worst coaches possible. Magic. Isaiah, Jordan, Bird. And it's for a simple reason. They assume that by osmosis, people are going to be able to do what they did the way they did it. No, they're on a different level. The same thing happens in sales. When you've got that absolute rock star and now they've got a team, you know what they start doing? Trying to teach people to regurgitate and replicate what they did because that's all they know how to do is that piece. Instead, that's why I'm a big believer in grooming folks that are some rock stars and a mix of the people that are burgeoning and have the opportunity to be a great coach and a sales leader and teach them what it means to lead, not just to manage. You know, it's a great point. I, I'm interested in your perspective on the difference between a manager and a leader. <laughs> I think a manager wants to show how they did it and why you should do it that way. And a leader says, here's what I've seen work and not work. Show me another way to do it. And with a leader, for me, I think what I've learned over my history as far as there is a single three-part question that separates managers from leaders. And it's pretty basic, right? And the question is this. And I used to start every one of my one-on-ones, my team meetings, et cetera, with a single three-part question. Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to coach? Or do you want me to fix? And what that does is two things. One, first of all, as leaders, we're natural fixers. Most of the time, that's not what the person needs. Sometimes they need to just get it out of their head, right? Or bounce this off of me, walk me through this thing, teach me something. The other thing it does is it tells the other individual that this is all about their time and it's all about you. And then the third piece is what you're doing is literally modeling the positive behavior for your team and your sellers that you want them to now go out and do with prospects and customers. I'm curious, those three questions, like which one are you hoping they don't say? I I don't actually go in hoping they say any of them. I want them to be able to say, this is your time. Do you need 
me to just listen so you can get it out of your head and make sure it doesn't sound crazy? Do you want me to coach because I've done this several times and I can show you how I have things work and not work? Or I want me to fix because you tried everything you know how to do. Just tell me how to go do it. So it really comes down to that individual and what they need. And there's the leader. They're focused on what their people need. Managers are focused on what they want their people to do. Okay. I would hope that it wasn't always fixed personally. Oh, I hope it's not always fixed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if occasionally fixed, giddy up. But if it's like always fixed, it's like. That's a different level of conversation now. If it's always fixed. Right. Is there learned helplessness going on? Is there a lack of confidence? Are they just lazy? Like, well, then I think as a while, coach, yeah. as a leader, it gives you an opportunity to, to see that pattern to your point. If it's always fixed, if it's fixed two, three, four times, you go stop for a second. Let's have a conversation. Tell me what you've tried to do before you came to me with this. Good. Tell me what has worked and not worked. If you had to do it again, how would you do this different? And I think it, as leaders, we've learned enough to know most people could fix things on their own. If you have a conversation and you literally walk them through it, invariably, they're going to come up to the end. Now, you may show, you know, share some best practices, tips and tricks, things like that. But for the most part, they're going to go, oh, wait a minute, light bulb moment. I did this, this and this and it didn't work. Let me, let me try this. Right. And it also says, great, let's look at this from a AB perspective. What you did was your A. Let's change this and go try B now and then come back and let's have this conversation again. Yeah, you know, and I, I'd be interested to know, too, like. If they just last weekend, my daughter, she's in the bacon now. She loves the bake. She's 11 mm-hmm. and loves the bake. That and could she, be a good or a bad thing. If she's a good baker, that may be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But she's she was trying to, um, you know, it sounds kind of simple, but she's like, Daddy, how do I change the, the grates on the oven? Because I want to be able to put two in and not one. Mm-hmm. I go, do you have an, and I didn't answer her. I'm like, well, do you think you can figure it out? She's like, I don't know. I can try. And then she figured it out. So what's that? That to me, is that a fixer or is that a coacher? No, I think it was a coaching. And and the reason I say that is what you did was gave her a thought and to look at this from a different set of lenses, go back and look at that, the, the great differently now, right? Knowing what you know about, even if it's a minimal amount about Evans, clearly, you know, there's another way to do it, but it was easier for you to come to me and tell you how to do it. But here's the thing. Are you really going to learn from me? Or the next time you have that, are you going to remember what I told you? Or are you going to remember what you did to change it? That's yeah. coaching. I, I'll tell you, if you just went around answering every rep's question that came up to you every five seconds, like you wouldn't know whether they're asking the question out of ignorance or validation. Then you make yourself the super closer. Yeah. Right? And, and exactly. they don't have to do any work and they're not learning anything. No. And, and as not. a leader, our job is to what? Make sure that we can guide and coach them and prepare them for situations, sometimes before they get into that situation, other times it's after they've done it. My mom used to say, you know, the best leaders learn how to and how not to. Either way, they learn. Yeah, and you know, it's not like there can't be some guardrails there. Like, same same kid, same baking issue. My parents were here and 
they're like, well, we need to run to the store. I'm like, that's fine. Go ahead. Just leave her there with a hot oven on by herself. I'm fine with that. The wife, not so much. She set a guardrail there. <laughs> and she said, no, we're not doing that. So there, there are some supervisory roles for managers yeah. that make sense. Absolutely. Life, right. But yeah, that's all. Awesome. That's the fix yeah. part. Don't do that or you will blow the house up. Nice. <laughs> that's a good fix. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's every once in a while you can fix that situation. That'd be a good thing. Okay. Okay. So last question, kind of running out of time here. It was a fun conversation. Uh, Lindsay, I'll leave it to you. You want to ask a question? <laughs> well, you, you guys are in such a flow here. Um, I did want to, I kind of wanted to ask you both the same question just to hear different answers. We've been talking about um, sales people and the specific qualities and attributes that in today's selling world that are important. So it's kind of a two-part question. If you had to pick two traits or skills for salespeople that are critical to today, if you were telling our audience, you know, to find top talent, look for these two skills. And then the same question for leaders. So two skills for leaders, two skills for sales, what would be the most important and focusing on honing and strengthening those. So we'll start Roderick. You can pick either one sales or leaders first, and then we'll go to you, Pete. Then you can go first for the second. I'm gonna make it real easy. I'm going to give you the same answer for both leaders and sellers. Okay. Preparation and constant curiosity. Expand on that a little. What I mean is someone that is constantly asking more questions than they're giving answers to, but be prepared to give those answers. Because if you do enough prep, you're going to know the right questions to ask. And then when you get into that conversational piece, if you're asking those questions, you're now having a conversation. You're not giving them a presentation, which means it's not scripted. It may go left. It may go right. But if you've done your homework up front, you're prepared. Beautiful. That reminds me, Pete, when we were on a podcast recently, uh, asking yourself, am I asking questions before presenting solutions? And it can go to your point, Roderick, both at, when you're wearing your sales hat and talking to a prospect or you're wearing your leadership or sales management hat and talking to a rep, it yeah. uh, fits, fits in both. So, uh, And I think what that, that last piece does is it teaches sellers, whether it's newbies or a reminder for our legacy sellers, that you should be focused on qualification constantly and that's calling in as well as calling out because things mm -hmm. change all the time so you don't want to waste their time or yours no doubt about it beautiful pete so same question goes to you oh well for for reps by the way, great answers i i love i love those answers thank you uh that especially for the rep one we talk all the time about 70-30 rule, always be qualifying, not always be closing. You know, it's always be qualifying. Absolutely. Which means you got to be okay with no before you can get okay with yes. All of that is this huge. So having that, that listening gene, which results in curiosity, is awesome. I agree with that one. The other one I would do for it's massive action. It's behavior, behavior, behavior. Learn from your mistakes. 
keep climbing. The preparation is important, but not to the point where it's get ready to get ready. It's do the behavior, learn from it, do it again, learn from it. So those two things for reps, I think, are huge. On the leadership side, I think Roger gave us a masterclass in that already. Like you can't, you can't tell people what to do all the time, right? So the curiosity thing remains true for managers too, because if you aren't curious or you're impatient, then you're just going to be super rep all the time, which isn't isn't a good thing. And I think with leaders as well, it's making sure you know situationally when you need to manage versus when you need to coach. And both are extremely important. Like you, you really can't coach a forecast. You got to manage a forecast. <laughs> you, you can coach effectiveness of the output of what they get, but you can't coach a forecast. You have to manage a forecast. I mean, there's a place for that, but knowing how to, how to succeed in both of those two worlds is, is pretty important for especially sales leaders. Yeah, not easy to wear both a supervisory and a coach hat within a 30-minute touch base to try to hit the forecasting conversation and then also the uh, coaching or leveling up skill enhancement or anything like that within a, a quick fire meeting. Um, I certainly agree. Well, yeah, this has been a fast 30 minutes. Um, I guess, Roderick, for you, where can listeners find you online and uh, learn a little bit more about you? And with that, we'll just bring it to a close. Sure. For anyone that wants to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn at Roderick Jefferson on both Facebook and Twitter at The Voice of Rod on Instagram at Roderick underscore J underscore associate. Or you can find me on my company uh, webpage at RoderickJefferson.com. And you can find my Amazon bestseller on Amazon or anywhere where you buy paperback, audio books, ebooks, et cetera. Beautiful. And actually, I have one last, last thing I want to uh, have you mention, if you don't mind. I just feel like it's a good closing here. Roderick, when we first spoke, you talked, just on a personal note, you talked about your four Fs. Uh, so if you don't mind just sharing sharing that with us in in like a minute and, and why that kind of gives you the motivation and drive to do what you do, that would be cool. And we'll tie sure. it on. Thanks for that. In, in a snapshot, I had a massive stroke about 18 months ago. And as you can imagine, with something that um, near death, it changes your perspective on everything. And for me, my foundation now is literally my four Fs. It's faith, family, friends, and fun. And if it does not fit into one of those categories, it generally doesn't even touch my radar anymore. Beautiful. I love that. Um, and I thank you for, you know, allowing us to fill one of those buckets. I'm not sure. Maybe we're in the, in the fun bucket. This has been a fun, a fun, uh, fun 30 minutes. Uh, we appreciate your expertise. It flew by. Uh, I took down so many different nuggets, uh, that you shared with us. So thank you again for your time. Uh, and for listeners, we will make sure we've got all the links to, to Jefferson and in his goodies available to you. And, uh, with that good selling and keep climbing. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks gentlemen. Thanks Pete. Bye Roger.